Breathmint's Battle Scars by Onyx and Elm. Chapter 22. December 1st, 1998. Ginny returns with two pints of fire whiskey, and if that doesn't explain how she feels about it, nothing does. Without any breakfast, it affects them quickly, and it makes telling the truth so much easier. Hermione finds the words just pouring out of her like ink from a broken well. It's... it's hard to explain. It's like... do you know what splatter art is? It's a muggle thing. It's strange. Abstract. It's taking paint and just throwing it against a canvas, staining everything. Just letting it hit where it hits. And it's violent and messy and it has no rules or patterns and intentions. Bright, vicious colours thrown everywhere. Some people think it's just a disaster on paper. That's it. The act of making art by ruining art. Other people adore it. But it's... It's just that you can't undo it. Can't erase anything once it's there, you know? Can't even try to aim or make it look a certain way. It's just a collision course. This clash of paint and canvas that somebody, some way, somehow makes something. And that... That's what happened with Malfoy. Draco. We just sort of collided with each other. Stained each other with all of our problems and just sort of bled out all over the place. But I... I like the way it looks. I think... I don't know, Jen. I don't. I absolutely... I do not know. I don't know if I'm making a mistake or reading things wrong or hurting people. But I don't feel normal unless I'm with him. It started with the lake. I kept accidentally finding him there. I don't even know if it was accidental, but I kept finding him there and he just... He's such a prick. All the time, he doesn't care. He says what's in his mouth. He doesn't swallow it or change it or hold it in. And I know, I know who he is and what he's done and who he used to be. I remember what he used to call me. I remember all of it. But then he just... He sits there and he tells me he couldn't watch me scream like he did before. And he spends all of his time writing in that bright purple journal and looking so out of place. Like me, so much like me. We were so similar. And I spent so much time thinking it could be wrong. Growing up thinking it, waiting for it to feel right. To sit right in my stomach. But it's wrong, it's so, so wrong. And when Ron kissed me and I was numb, I was nothing. And then... And fucking Malfoy kisses me and it's just absolutely shattering all those hopes I used to write down in my 13-year-old diary. And I just had to sit there and try to make sense of it. Of how that could be. How the one person I'm supposed to hate unconditionally is the one I want to let touch me. And my thoughts have been so impossibly loud, all trapped in there at once, bickering and arguing and switching sides. Because I couldn't just go and tell you... Like I could if it was some other boy, I could sit with you and Parvati and Luna and gush over how it made me feel and where he touched me because it's fucking Malfoy and I'm not allowed to feel that way about him. And because every time anyone thinks him doing something or sees him touch me, they think he's trying to kill me. It's fucking prejudice and it's strong and it's fresh. So I let you all believe that it was Zacharias because at least that was safe, but it hurt him. It fucking hurt him. And it hurt me. And I wanted so badly to have you know the truth. To have you all know. But how could I? How could I? Knowing what you'd think. What some of you might do. What one would do. So I lied. I lied. I felt like I had to. I've been lying for months. But then last night I... 
We, it's gone too far. It's gone too far and I can't lie about it to you anymore. My first time was supposed to be with Ron. Everyone told me that. I told me that. But no, no, my first time. Mine, me, Gryffindor's bloody princess, or whatever bollocks they call me in the Prophet, was with Malfoy, Death Eater, Pariah, War Criminal, and Slytherin's disgraced fucking prince. It was with him in a hospital bed, and they wanted it to be. I didn't waste it. In my heart, I know I didn't waste it. And I had to tell you because it was so absolutely ridiculously right. You know, our paint splattered all over the place and we're staining everything. And maybe we absolutely don't go together, but to me, to me, we're a fucking Jackson Pollock. She feels like she hasn't taken a breath since she started. Gasps and gulps down air, tears streaming down her face. She drowns any future words with fire whiskey and waits for Jenny to speak. She'd been silent this whole time, listening, staring. The sudden quiet is painful, makes Hermione's fingers tremble. Ginny sips her whiskey, and then she asks, quietly and calmly as ever, Who is Jackson Pollock? Masterpiece muggle splatter artist. Hermione murmurs around the rim of her cup unsure what to make of this response. Ginny nods as though committing it to memory. Sips more whiskey. Please say something. She swallows, setting down her glass and starting to twirl the ends of her hair around her fingers. Never a good sign with Ginny. You won't like what I have to say. Hermione scoffs, splutters. I, I don't care. I don't. I knew that before I told you. I want to know what you think. What you really think. Ginny sighs and leans forward on her elbows. I think, she pauses, sighs again, eyes flitting between each of Hermione's. I think he's going to hurt you. She nods, feeling shaky and neurotic. He is. He has. But I... I've hurt him too. I'm not... I'm not powerless in this situation. I'm not scared. I can hurt him too. Ginny's eyes narrow, not in anger, but rather introspectively, like she's sizing her up. Spoken like a true Slytherin, she says, and her gaze drops to the silver and green tie. Hermione gives her a nervous laugh. She can't read her, isn't exactly sure how she means it. Speaking of which, Ginny pulls out her wand, casts a spell to fix her robes and glamours her neck in under ten seconds. She's always been quite impressive with her magic. Thank you, Hermione says quietly. She still can't tell what she's thinking, how she's feeling. Ginny's poker face is quite impressive as well. Gin, she urges after another long silence. Please. What? Just say it. Whatever you're thinking, say it. Ginny finishes off her whiskey, leans her head on her hand. Miney, I I don't really know what I can say to make you feel better. I hate him. I'm sorry, but I hate him, and I think I'll always hate him. His flesh and blood of the woman who murdered my brother. His father is the reason I... She breaks off, clears her throat. First year, he's the reason for what happened in first year. I know, Hermione breathes, inwardly cursing herself. How could she have been so stupid and selfish not to consider Ginny and Tom Riddle's diary? 
how much more deeply this might affect her. She's not a neutral party, not by a long shot. But Ginny continues. The way you talk about him, though, it worries me. It sounds as if you're very far gone, Hermione. You're very deep in this. What happens if you come to a point where you need to crawl your way out? Will you? Can you? Hermione huffs, glances down, away. Probably not. Ginny says nothing. Slowly, the three broomsticks grows busier with the late morning crowd. Hermione watches. Her whiskey grow murkier by the second, clouding in the glass. She's swirling it around when Ginny speaks again. So, last night, then? She doesn't need to finish. Hermione chews her lip, not looking up. Nods. Are you all right? Now she does meet her eyes, feeling colour flood to her cheeks. Better than all right, she admits. I know, though. I know you don't want to hear it. Hermione, Ginny's tone is suddenly stern, and she sounds somehow older than her years, wiser. I may hate him, but it's none of my business here, you see. It's not in my control, nor should it be. I'm sorry I can't say the same for others, she means Ron, but you can always talk to me, and while I may judge Malfoy, will, will judge Malfoy, I will never judge you. Hermione feels tears well up in her eyes again. Do you understand? She nods, and it shakes a few of them free, sending them streaming down her face. Ginny conjures her a tissue. Thank you, she says through the thin fabric of it as she wipes her eyes, hopes Ginny knows how broadly she means it. Ginny orders one more round of the tamer butterbeers, along with some pumpkin pasties to soak up all the alcohol. They sit together well into the lunch hour, talking things over. Hermione tells her about Zacharias's threat and about Pansy, tells her about stealing Draco's journal and about Theodore not. In turn, Ginny tells her what she hasn't seen, tells her how it's looked from the outside. And she's slightly horrified, because from the outside she's behaved like a complete sociopath. And we miss you, Miney, she says as well. We want to be there for you, but you don't make it easy. With this, I understand, but with everything else, we can help you. You don't have to do it on your own. She finds herself holding back more tears. I know, I know I'm sorry. But all she can promise is, I'll try. Walking out of the three broomsticks, though, she feels like a tangle of impossibly heavy chains has been taken off her feet. Feels fifty pounds lighter. Ginny should have known all along. She crawls into bed that night, having not gone to a single class, and feeling thoroughly unlike herself. It's nice. Madame Pomfrey hadn't said a word to her about Draco when she came in. She simply asked her to perform the contraceptive charm three times with her newly working wand, and when she'd done it right and then dropped the subject. Poppy has never been one to pry. This, though, is the first moment she's had all day to be alone with her thoughts. She stares up at the vibrant red canopy of her four-poster, and for the first time since waking up, she opens up the floodgates. Her thoughts run rampant. Her legs grow restless. She lets herself retrace every memory in her head without restriction, and it starts to feel real, 
like it truly happened. She's partly shocked at her behaviour last night, surprised by her nerve and her assertiveness. Certainly she's always maintained those attributes with vigour during everyday life, but she'd never managed they'd cross into the bedroom. Never imagined she could be so forthright about what she wanted. And what's more, who could have ever expected Draco bloody Malfoy to listen? She makes a mental note to ask his middle name, is abruptly wildly curious and surprised she doesn't know it. But these are suddenly things she wants to know, almost should know, considering what's happening between them. She can in no way put a label on it, but she can at least be sure that she wants to know him better. Childishly, she makes a list in her head. Twenty-one questions with Draco Malfoy, and she wonders whether she'll ever get to ask them. December 2nd, 1998. Diary. The fuck do you mean my last entry was too brief? I answered your weekly prompt, you mouth-breathing half-wits. What more? By law, if you ever actually read my fucking charges, do I have to do? The answer is fucking nothing. I can read... I read it. I know all the loopholes. Have a pleasant evening. Draco. December 4th, 1998. It's Friday evening when Ginny first brings it up. The Gryffindor common room is tamer than usual and Hermione's working on an essay in the armchair by the fireplace while Harry and Ron fill out preliminary aura training forms on the floor beside her feet. Ron didn't want to be an aura. He wanted to play for the Chudley Cannons. At least that was the last she'd heard. But she hasn't really spoken to Ron in months, not like she used to, and it seems things have changed. Ginny's been working at drawing her back into their social circle, quite casually and without any ridiculous grand gestures, thank goodness, but it's an adjustment all the same. She tries to remember the last time the three of them sat like this, worked in silence in each other's company, not since before the war, she reckons. Malfoy has been a blur since that morning. She's only caught glimpses of him coming and going. He's skipped several of their shared classes. She doesn't know why it makes her tense, but it does. Ginny sits across from her in the other armchair, reading as she says it without looking up. Any developments with Jackson Pollock? Hermione's quill slips and she draws a thick, black line down the empty quarter left of her page. Ruins it. She flashes wide eyes at Ginny, but she still hasn't looked up from her book. "'Who's Jackson Bollocks?' asks Ron, yawning. "'Pollock!' Hermione corrects automatically, adjusts herself in the armchair, pulse suddenly quite fast. But Jenny explains before her thoughts get too far away from her. "'He's a famous muggle artist. Abstract. Hermione's doing a research project on him for muggle studies.' Her pulse slows just a fraction. "'Yes,' she murmurs after a moment, uncertain and suspicious. "'I... Am Pretty in-depth, the way I heard it. Lots of work. Ginny turns a page, still not looking up. Yes, she says again, catching on. Harry looks up from the floor through his messy mop of hair, smiles impishly. Hermione's probably already finished it. And Ginny looks up finally, tossing Hermione a complicated glance. She thinks she understands. Not at all she says, continuing when Ginny subtly nods. It'll take me months, I expect. Ron has already lost interest. His face is screwed up as he scribbles on his form. Harry is only half listening. 
So, Ginny asks again, how's it going? And she gets it. Ginny really is a brilliant witch. In under two minutes, she's perfectly crafted a way to talk about Malfoy in front of Harry and Ron. In front of anyone, really. She hides a smile. No new developments. Just preliminary research at this point. Ginny winks when no one's looking. Well, let me know if you need any help. And all of the tension in her body seems to ease in an instant. Finally, finally an ally. Chapter 23 December 7th, 1998 Diary Fickle is a good word. With only two syllables, it somehow captures just how absolutely fucking volatile people are. Undependable. Untrustworthy. It's this pathetic little word. It even sounds pathetic. It's so fitting. People are fickle. Everything is fickle. Every aspect of my life. Even I am. I'm sure of it. But if you really fucking think about it, expecting everyone to be fickle makes them not fickle at all. I can depend on their undependability. Countermeasures. Yeah, I might not seem like much, but it brings me comfort. I like knowing what to expect, for fucking once in my life, and at this point I can comfortably expect to have the rug pulled out from under my feet at every given opportunity. Prompt, if you could change one choice you made in the past year, what would it be? Almost too easy. My appeal. Mother insisted on it, but if I could go back I'd plead guilty and accept all of those initial charges. Azkaban sounds like a lonely paradise. Draco. December 12th, 1998. Over a week. Over a week and they haven't exchanged a word. Haven't traded so much as a full glance or shared the same tent of air. Not only has he skipped the majority of the classes they have together, but on the rare occasions that he has appeared, it's as though he believes it physically hurt him to look at her anywhere direction. She swaddles herself in the belief that what she feels is little more than irritation. Annoyance. Exasperation that he's behaving like a typical childish boy in the situation, when she prides herself on repelling typical childish boys. Except beneath all of that, she knows what she feels. Slighted. Hurt. Used. And also proven right, and she abhors proving herself right in situations like this. But there was that little voice in her head all along, ringing its little alarms and nagging its way through the dark recesses of her mind, telling her Malfoy was bound to do this. Not just bound, almost required. Everything she knew about his old nature would have practically demanded that he do this, and yet, that's just it. His old nature. She'd felt certain, growing more and more positive by the day over the past several weeks, that his old nature was dying giving way to something new, and ultimately more. But perhaps, after everything, the only constant with Malfoy is his unpredictability. And 95% of her had not predicted this. She wasted it. She wasted it. Everything she confessed to Ginny in a drunken haze feels childish and embarrassing now. What a waste. Hermione, you're a tea says Luna calmly in her way, and Hermione glances down to find it boiling in its dainty little cup. She shakes herself free of the anger, and the bubbles subside. Ginny is watching her carefully when she looks up, a question in her eyes, but Hermione shuts it down quickly, forcing a smile at Luna. 
Sorry, lost in thought, I suppose. They're taking tea in the astronomy tower, an affair Hermione has just learned that Luna hosts every weekend. Ginny's encouraged her to come, and thankfully it's just the three of them today, though Luna has mentioned twice how Parvati and Padma are usually make an appearance. Idly, Hermione wonders if she's scared them off. Who'd want to take tea with a moping Granger? The conversation shifts to the latest edition of the Quibbler, but Ginny's eyes still flit her way every now and again as Luna talks. Still nothing, she asks as they descend the stairs. Hermione shakes her head mutely, is afraid if she opens her mouth, all of her hurt and all of her fury will pour out. They pass into one of the main corridors, lively with students, the way it always is on weekends during the winter. Maybe you should approach him first, offers Ginny. Maybe he's waiting for... I will not, she snaps immediately. I don't care how old-fashioned it is. Just this once I want things to go the way they go for everyone else, for me. I will not go chasing... She breaks off. Can't fathom what she's seeing. But she can feel Ginny's gaze shoot to her from the side, wondering why she's stopped. And then it shifts to follow her stare. Malfoy is walking arm-in-arm with Pansy Parkinson. They're at the far end of the corridor, passing in and out of view through the crowd, but his white blonde hair is unmistakable, as is her laugh. Miney, says Ginny softly, a warning. Someone steps out of the way and she can see Pansy stretch upon her toes and press a kiss to his cheek. Miney! She charges forth, hands balling into white-knuckled fists at her sides. Miney, don't! Oh, bollocks! Ginny mutters from behind, but she doesn't follow. And Hermione slips through the crowd with a thousand different curses on her tongue, the outline of her wand a comfort against her palm through the fabric of her skirt. No one would assume anything if she hexed Draco Malfoy. That's... that's what she should be doing. What she's expected to be doing. She's about halfway across the corridor when he spots her, and she sees a muscle in his jaw twitch sees him straighten up like a child caught out of bed after midnight. He says something to Pansy, and she can't read his lips, and then he excuses himself, starting off at a rather brisk pace down the perpendicular hall. And Hermione charges right through Pansy's noxious cloud of powdery perfume as she rounds the corner after him. She keeps her eyes low, focuses them on the shiny black heels of his pointy dress shoes, following them around several twists and turns and down several flights of stairs, follows until no other pairs of shoes accompany them, until the halls they're walking through are filled only by their out-of-step treads. She realises he's headed for the dungeons, for Slytherin House. His pace has doubled, though he's not quite running. Not yet. Her eyes pan up, catch him throwing a glance over his shoulder, and when he sees how close she is, he seems to realise that Slytherin will be a dead end. He panics and cuts a sharp turn down another corridor, then down two more flights of stairs. She has her hand around the base of her wand. Malfoy slips around one last corner, throws a desperate sod off Granger at her, and then yanks at the iron of a wall sconce, producing a hidden doorway. He throws himself through with fervour, as though he thinks she won't make it across the threshold in time. But she does. Of course she does. It's almost too easy. And the door closes behind her, 
leaving him in precisely the worst situation he could ask for. What is this? She demands, wand out at her side. Malfoy turns to face her, backs himself into a table. A beat of silence. This is the kitchen's, he says. Hermione hesitates, coughs and splutters at him. No, of course I know this is the... What is this, Malfoy? What are you playing at? Malfoy runs a hand through his hair, looking anywhere but her eyes as he leans back against the table. As he so astutely pointed out, they are, in fact, in the kitchens. It's vacant. Dinner isn't for another several hours, and the house elves are otherwise occupied throughout the castle, no doubt. Dishes are laid out behind him in rows, plates and goblets and serving platters, in various classes of material. Some bronze, some porcelain, some crystal. She's never actually been in here. Students aren't supposed to know about it, lest they think to go snooping around when midnight cravings strike. She wonders why Malfoy knows the way in. She has more important things to wonder about. She collects herself and reinvents her penetrating stare, hoping to stir answers out of him. Is there some sort of game we're playing that I'm not aware of, Granger? He asks, as he's adopted that bored tone. She sees red. Don't you dare stand there and act casual. You weren't running away from me less than a minute ago. I was not running. She raises her wand, points it firmly at his face. He goes temporarily silent, only to cross his arms over his chest a moment later and fire back. Do you have any idea how fucking terrifying you look when you charge at people? Madeline's right, tit, Granger, you're a bloody hippogriff. But even as he eases into the comfort of arguing, there's still an undercurrent of nervousness. She can see it in his eyes, hear it in his voice. And now you've got your bloody wand in my face. She doesn't lower it. He looked very cosy with Parkinson, she deadpans. And like a threatened snake, Malfoy recoils, then strikes, loading as much venom into his attack as possible. Oh, I see. Right, right, of course, Granger. Of course, you're jealous. You thought giving up your virginity would be some sort of grand affair, something bloody meaningful. Isn't that what they teach you Gryffindor girls? What, is you expect me to show up outside your dormitory with flowers and take you for a stroll and write you a fl- you love notes? Didn't you really think that I was the kind of person I was when you decided to fuck me? The hex flies out of her wand wordlessly shattering half a dozen long-stemmed crystal goblets about an inch from his elbow. He jerks away, hisses and looks to his forearm, plucking a shard of glass out. You're doing it again, she says flatly. She refuses to let any of her emotions show, even as they quiver, throb just beneath her skin. Doing what? he sneers. But she doesn't look at his face. Can't. She watches a rivulet of ruby blood run down his wrist instead. Being cruel, she murmurs, pretending. And when she finally glances up, his lip is curled, vicious. Always so sure of yourself, aren't you, Granger? Always so certain you're right. He pushes off the table, taking two measured steps towards her. Her wand arm stiffens. Ever considered that you were actually wrong about me? That maybe, by some wild stretch of the imagination, I'm as rotten on the inside as I am out. 
Her eyes narrow to slits, and another wordless hex does away with a porcelain serving bowl just over his shoulder. Malfoy doesn't flinch this time, even as shards of porcelain sprinkle against his back. He huffs a laugh. Yes, very good, Granger. Break another. Her eyes widen a fraction. A furious breath steams out through her nose, and then she flicks her wand with intention, decimating the stack of clear glass plates. Not like that, says Malfoy, and before she can think to do anything about it, he's got his hand around her wand. How dare he slides it free of her grip like a knife from a warm butter. Her fingers twitch around the new emptiness. Not like that, he says again. He tosses her wand aside, a hollow clatter she doesn't see. Her gaze is locked on him, the expression in his eyes something unfathomable, inscrutable, a riddle to solve. Malfoy takes a few steps backwards, jolting his eyebrows like a challenge, before turning away towards the table. Watch, like this. And then he takes hold of a large cut crystal compote and launches it at the wall. Hermione jolts, throws a hand up to shield her eyes as microscopic shards mist over the room. See? says Malfoy proudly. He takes up three china plates at once and throws them down at her feet in quick succession. She jumps, skips around the flying pieces, shoulders tense, fingers splayed out at her sides, trembling, but just slightly. Their eyes meet again. Malfoy drags a wide porcelain soup bowl off the corner of the table. Stalks her forward, glass crunching under his feet. He shoves it into her hands. Try it, he demands. She lets out an unsteady breath. Her fingers flex against the bowl's cold curve. You know you want to, Granger. Go on, do it. He dips his head just slightly, forcing their eyes to connect, ice and earth. His narrow, and that vicious smile from before is gone replaced with a somewhat competitive smirk. Do it. She releases a cut growl, grinds her teeth and condemns the bowl to the flagstone. Something almost erotic fans out across the tense slopes of her muscles at the sound of its smashing, and the sight of the pieces scattering around their feet. A full smile spreads across Malfoy's face, accentuating the sharp curve of his chin. He doesn't say another word, takes her wrist instead and pulls her forward over to the table. He slips behind her and her skin prickles, either with warning or something else, she isn't sure. But her thoughts jumble and glitch when his free hand finds her other wrist, chin resting against the curve of her neck, his skin cold. He crowds up against her, his chest flush with her back. And as her breath hitches, he guides her hands to a fresh stack of china plates manoeuvres her like a puppet, making her fingers caress the smooth glass and only letting go when he sees her latch on. He steps back just as she launches two or three of them at the wall to their right. She gasps as they fly apart, fights a smile. Malfoy laughs low from behind her. Then he stalks along the length of the table, collecting a group of goblets by the stems. He twirls one about between his fingers, throws it to the ceiling, backing out from under the rain of shards, laughs louder, starts to juggle them, breaking them against one another. Hermione finds herself lifting the rest of the plates, hugging the heavy stack to her chest and stepping back to let them fall lazily from her grip, 
creating a mountain of cracked quarters and halves below. A laugh flies unbidden from her lips. She glances to Malfoy, flushed, and he's got his arms out in front of him, clasps his hands three or four times for her, curt, sharp, applause. She can't stop herself now. She marches to the far corner, finding a china hutch, tearing open its doors to rip out the neat rows of gravy boats and teacups, listening and laughing as they shatter. Brilliant, Granger. Fucking brilliant, Malfoy calls over the ruckus, going for another stack of plates, and one by one smashing them to pieces against the edge of the table. She empties the cabinet and starts on the one next to it, decimating the goblets and bowls in every creative way she can think of. Granger, here, this one. Malfoy tears her attention away, beckoning her with the sight of a large crystal vase. He tosses it over the table to her. How should I... she finds herself asking. There. He points to the little chandelier above their heads. That. Another laugh bubbles out of her throat, and she takes the vase by its thin neck, pulling it back to send it careening into the fragile fixture. They laugh together as it swings violently to one side, dislodges and crashes down to the table. Malfoy's eyes are alight. Come here, he says, and then he sweeps aside an arrangement of at least fifty cups and saucers to hop up onto the table, holds out a hand for her on the other side. She doesn't even hesitate, takes his hand and lets him swing her up next to him. Together they stare across the table's long expanse, still crowded by unbroken dishes. First to the end? Malfoy proposes breathlessly. She laughs, nods. On three. One. She breaks forth at one, giggling and kicking her way through the array of goblets as he shouts after her. Cheating brat! But he's laughing and he catches up quick. In absurd unison, they smash their way through the rest of the table, kicking plates and bowls against walls, screaming encouragements at one another, laughing like she doesn't think she's ever laughed before. The floor crowds with tiny shards of crystal and large pieces of china until there's no safe space to walk. And in some wild fever dream, the two of them hop down off the table, laugh and scream and jump around in it like they're splashing through puddles in the rain, jump until they can hardly breathe, until they're hunched over, gasping and red-faced. Hermione closes her eyes, heaves out smiling breaths at the ceiling. Then she shuffles her way through the mess, feeling sharp edges prick at her ankles and not caring a bit. She kicks aside the debris next to the wall and collapses into a seat against it. Malfoy joins her moments later, sliding down and leaning his head back against the stone. Together, their panting slows, fades to quiet, simultaneous breaths. Feels good, doesn't it? he murmurs, foot playing with half a teacup. Destroying things. Yes, she answers instantly. She can't think clearly in this moment, doesn't want to. She hasn't felt a release like this since long before the war. And for a good ten minutes or so, the two of them sit in complete silence, comfortable with it, not feeling the need to break it, unlike everything else. Then she watches Malfoy lean forward, pluck something from one of the piles of glass. It's a teardrop crystal from the chandelier, cracked in half, in a way that makes it look more like a half-moon. He twists it around in his hands for a while, 
inspecting it. Then he pulls his wand from his pocket, and she watches him transform it into the pendant of a necklace, conjuring a black leather cord for it to dangle from. He sits back against the wall, considers it in his hand for a moment longer before holding it out in front of her. For you. Something throbs in her chest, both pleasant and exceedingly painful. Shouldn't you be giving that to Parkinson? she asks flatly, stripping all emotion from her voice. Malfoy huffs, a different kind of laugh than what they've been sharing. Colder. Think what you will of me, Granger. I can't stop you. A beat of silence. Then he adds, But consider, for one moment, what it might feel like to be me. If you even can. Another laugh, this one dark, dejected and pathetic. Imagine you fucked up your life so badly that you started to expect literally everything to fail. Imagine walking up every set of stairs knowing that when you leave your room, people are going to look at you like they want to kill you, seek you out and repeat the names of the people they think you murdered, just chant them at you over and over again at every given opportunity, even though you had absolutely fucking nothing to do with Lavender Brown's death, or Fred Weasley's, or Creevy, or Bones. Imagine dealing with that every fucking day, and then imagine that somehow, accidentally, you stumble into something that possibly, maybe, just maybe, makes leaving your room in the morning easier. She finds herself holding her breath. Yeah, got that? Now imagine wanting that thing so bad, so fucking bad. Imagine being so fucking proud that you've managed to earn that one thing win that one thing. Imagine being so proud that you can't fucking wait for the world to see. A bead of sweat slides down the side of her neck. And then imagine that one thing feeling just as passionately about you, except instead of proud, they're ashamed. So ashamed and so full of regret at the same time that it makes it possible for you to get out of bed. She bites down hard on her lip, feeling his gaze shift from her side. Now look me in the eye and tell me you'd blame yourself for seeking affection, for wanting it to look like someone still loved you, for wanting it to feel like someone still loved you or even wanted to be near you. Reluctantly, her eyes slide to his, and the image of him is blurred by tears. Pansy's a lot of things, but she isn't ashamed. He drops the pendant into her lap. That, though... He gestures to it. That is the person who told me she'd pick me out of a room of hundreds. If she ever decides to mean it. Glass clinks, skids against flagstone as he gets to his feet. Until then, he says as her eyes follow him. Excuse me while I soak up every drop of affection Parkinson has to offer. I can't tell you how much I fucking need it. Then, with the flick of his wand... The mountains of shattered glass and porcelain vanish, and he leaves her in an empty room. Chapter 24 December 18th, 1998 Diary I have never stayed before. This is bloody strange. I mean, I used to literally have nightmares first and second year that I'd miss the train and be stuck here. And now I... Oh, for fuck's sake, here we go. December 18th, 1998 you can't be serious, Miney. I can, and I am, Ronald. 
she butters her toast without looking at him, trying very hard to keep her tone steady. I need some time to myself. A time to think, relax. All around them, people are hugging goodbye and lugging suitcases through the aisles between tables. The train leaves from Hogsmeade in little over an hour. She's staying. Come on, it'll be fun, Miney. Ma wants to see you, Ron urges. And you're always alone. Ron, Harry starts. It's true, she is, Ron practically shouts. I mean, blimey, Hermione, it's like you don't want things to go back to normal. Ease off, Harry snaps, and Hermione jolts a little on the bench. Harry very rarely loses his composure. She glances up to see him leaning in to whisper something to Ron, and she tries in vain to scrape her knife against her toe so loudly she won't hear. But she does. Her parents, Ron. Hermione clears her throat, rushing out, Luna, what are your holiday plans? And turning to her, plastering a smile on her face. Luna beams, as does Neville beside her. Neville is coming to meet Dad. That's wonderful, says Ginny, going along with the subject change, and Hermione feels yet another endless swell of gratitude for her. Are you up to date the quipper on Neville? He goes a bit red in the face. I, um, might be, I don't know, a few issues behind? But as they laugh, Hermione hears raised voices from the far side of the Great Hall, the Slytherin table. Malfoy, Draco, is sitting at his usual end, purple journal out, and Cormac McLaggen is standing over him, backed by two Gryffindors she doesn't know the names of. <laughs> no one to go home to, eh, ferret? Cormac jeers. Hermione's gut wrenches. What, Mummy doesn't love you any more? Or is Mummy in a work home with the other house elves now the money's gone? They've all turned to look now. Students have stopped mid-step with their trunks in the aisle. Cormac's making quite a scene of it, and Hermione is already halfway out of her seat before Ginny pulls her back down. Draco glances up at Cormac like he's just noticed him talking, adopts the classic bored expression. Would you like a wand up your arse, McLaggen? I can be very accommodating. Ooh! Cormac feigns fear, and the two behind him laugh. See, that's the problem, Ferret. In order to properly threaten people, you have to actually be good with a wand. When's the last time you were good at anything? Hermione's wand is out, aimed carefully at him under the table but she hasn't even thought of a proper hex before there's a muted, sickening thud and Cormac sprawled out on the ground, a panting, feared or not, standing over him with a bloody fist. Cormac's cronies scatter like vermin as Knot grabs Cormac by the shirt collar and lays into him again and again and again. Gasps ring out through the hall, with every hit. Two prefects scamper off to alert the professor. And then, finally, Draco stands up, sighing loudly. Not, I think you've broken his jaw. Move off it, yeah? Theo pauses with his arm raised, breathless and spattered with blood. He glances up at Draco. One more punch? Draco huffs, maybe a laugh, as he closes his journal. <laughs> yeah, all right. Not follows through one last time, and there's an extra thud as Cormac's head drops to the stone. Hermione can hear a few little outraged squeaks throughout the hall, 
likely from the girl she always hears doting upon Cormac's cherub-like face. Why don't you take that crooked nose home to Mummy for Christmas, yeah? Not spits at his unconscious form. Happy holidays, you fucking knobhead. Mr. Not good gracious! shouts Havisham from the entryway, having just arrived, and all heads swap to her like they're watching a tennis match. Not straightens up and sighs, puts his wand in her outstretched hand, and questions as she prepares to lead off to detention. But then Havisham snaps. Mr. Malfoy, your wand! Hermione gasps audibly, and when Draco hesitates, Havisham snouts, This instant! She snatches away his wand before he can even fully remove it from his pocket, and Hermione watches his face cycle through a number of complicated expressions as Havisham leads their way. Bloody hell, Ron snickers, turning back to his plate. What a show! And Hermione is out of her seat before he can finish his sentence, narrowly dodging Ginny's hand. Enough of this. Miney, several of them say at once. Have a wonderful Christmas, all of you. I have something to take care of. She charges off after Havisham, without another word, leaving them gaping. She's fortunate the wards outside of McGonagall's office aren't active. It allows her to make the dramatic entrance she's been planning the whole day. She bursts in and marches up the stairs, eyes settling on the scene. Draco and Knot are settled in two chairs across from McGonagall, who is eyeing the blood splattered all over Knot's shirt with great concern. Havisham is standing next to McGonagall's desk, waving her hands about madly, mouth open wide with whatever rubbish she's been spilling. But Hermione's entrance is loud, distracts her, draws attention. Headmaster! She says, slightly out of breath, trying not to lose her train of thought when Draco's eyes snap to her. McGonagall quirks a brow. Miss Granger, I don't know what she said to you, Hermione jabs a finger in Havisham's direction, but I can assure you she's lying. For a moment the office is silent, and then Not lets out a snort, biting down on his lip and looking away from everyone to keep from laughing out loud. I beg your pardon? Havisham fumes. Miss Granger, that is hardly appropriate. Forgive me, Headmaster, but I assumed you would want to be made aware of any acts of prejudice being committed on school grounds. Prejudice? Havisham swishes her skirts angrily, posts her hands on her hips. And upon whom, pray tell, have I been inflicting this prejudice? Hermione doesn't skip a beat, but finds her words coming even more smoothly than normal. On them! She nods to Draco and not. Havisham scoffs. And where's your proof? Hermione takes a step forward. Would you like me to show the headmaster the records I've kept? All the instances I've made a note of in which you've imposed unjust attentions on Slytherins? Or the grave discrepancies between their house and others? The appalling series of false accusations you made against reformed survivors of the war? The five separate occasions specifically involving Draco Malfoy? The headmaster was present for one of them after all. Havisham's eyes twitch rather comically. She opens her mouth, shuts it, opens it again several seconds later. Now see, here, Professor Havisham, says McGonagall calmly. Would you excuse us for just a moment? Now Havisham shifts her gawking to the headmaster, 
looking quite a bit like a fish trying to breathe out of water. I will be with you shortly, McGonagall adds when she doesn't move. She doesn't speak again until Havisham walks dazedly to the door and closes it behind her. Then she turns sharp, inquisitive eyes on Hermione. As I am sure you are aware, those are very serious accusations, Miss Granger. Hermione gathers a steadying breath. Yes, Headmaster, they are also true. Her eyes jut involuntarily towards Draco, catch his expression for just a moment, finding a cocktail of emotions staring back at her. And what can you produce as proof? McGonagall folds her hands neatly on the desk in front of her. You can search my memories, but Headmaster, it isn't just Professor Havisham. She receives another brow quirk in response. It's become something of an epidemic, I'm afraid. And then, in what feels like one breath, she explains the events of the past thirty minutes as they really transpired, describes past instances she can remember off the top of her head, talks and talks and doesn't stop talking until she sees a slight flicker in McGonagall's eyes, until she's certain she understands the gravity of it. McGonagall steps in for a moment, threads her fingers together. Then she turns to Knot, her expression cat-like, not so different from her animagus form. Mr. Knot, I assure you to remember that violence is never a suitable solution to a problem. She pauses, then adds, Regardless of how cruel the situation may be, twenty points will be taken from Slytherin, and you will be serving two detentions with Professor Sprout. She sits back. You may go to your dormitory. Knot stands, looking a little confounded. He deals a curt nod to McGonagall, but his eyes linger on Hermione as she steps past him to leave. She wonders if he'll always hate her this much. When the door closes, McGonagall shifts her eyes to Draco. Mr. Malfoy, you are free to go as well. But when he stands, she says, And I do apologise for Mr. McLaren's behaviour. If not look surprised, Draco looks absolutely gobsmacked. He turns to leave, eyes sweeping over Hermione in a way that makes the blood rush to her cheeks. She does her best to hide any absurdly large, victorious grins. But when he makes to follow him out, McGonagall stops her. Miss Granger, a word? Her stomach drops. The smile melts off her face, and for a moment, dropping down into the velvet seat, takes her all the way back to first year, reminds her of all the trouble the three of them used to get into. She braces herself for a lecture. Miss Granger, McGonagall says again, and from the way she adjusts her posture, Hermione can tell she's trying to think of a way to phrase whatever she's about to say. A bad sign. I feel I've known you long enough to speak plainly. Hermione swallows and nods. I understand you have developed an affection for Mr. Malfoy. She feels her mouth drop open, shuts it immediately, any semblance of expectation as to the direction of this conversation evaporating within milliseconds. How does she... Poppy mentioned it to me, McGonagall answers before she can ask, voiced a bit of concern. But even if she hadn't, Miss Granger, I'm afraid it's quite obvious to eyes as old as mine. Her cheeks feel like branding irons. Probably look like them too. She tries to form words, but McGonagall continues before she can work up the courage. As your long-time professor, and now as headmaster, I feel it's my duty to... I know the contraceptive term, she blurts out. 
so quickly it all sounds like one word. She bites down on her tongue the moment it's free, furious with herself, and when she can meet McGonagall's eyes she finds her visibly flustered. Her brows furrow and she purses her lips. Yes, I am quite certain that you do. And it becomes humiliatingly clear that this was not at all the direction in which she'd been heading. Sorry, Headmaster, Hermione mutters, eyes falling into her lap as nowhere else seems bearable. There's a long moment of def deafening silence. Then McGonagall stands, strides silently around to the front of the desk, and when Hermione can muster the courage to look up, she's holding out a dish of Dumbledore's lemon drops. McGonagall speaks in a raspy voice, as though something is caught in her throat. Albus? Always knew the best moment to offer these. Seemed to know exactly when a bit of sweetness was needed. I believe this may be one of those moments. Something painful throbs in Hermione's ribcage. She reaches delicately into the dish, almost afraid to disturb the arrangement of the candies as she plucks one out. Its tart flavour is a welcome distraction. McGonagall sets the dish aside, resting back against the edge of the desk, hands clasped in front of her. Frankly, Miss Granger, I'm not surprised. Not in the least. We would souls have a way of finding one another. She clears her throat, brushing down the silk of her deep maroon robes. I am in no position to pass any judgment. I wouldn't have any judgment to pass, even if I were. Mr. Malfoy had a more complicated and unstable upbringing than I believe anyone else within these walls can imagine. Hermione sucks hard on the lemon drop, eyes glued to her. McGonagall is looking off ahead. I am also not surprised that you have been so quick to understand this, to see past it, and I must say I am quite proud to witness it. Now her eyes tilt down, to the side. Find her. But I feel obligated to warn you, Miss Granger, as you have seen today, there are many who will not see it this way. Some who will never. I will not be easy for you. Mr. Malfoy will be faced with a great deal more than name-calling and petty accusations, as will you, if you choose to tie yourself to him. She places a warm, weathered hand on Hermione's shoulder. I know how difficult it has been for you to cope. I would expect nothing less after what you've been through, but are you certain this is something you can handle? Right now on the road to recovery, are you certain you are prepared for the complications, the ramifications? Hermione stares up at her for a long time after she goes silent, considers her words carefully, all the while feeling an odd sensation building up in her chest. Then she clears her throat, slowly getting to her feet, feels suddenly resolute. I understand, Deadmaster. Thank you for your concern. She weaves her way out from around the chair, smoothing down her skirt as McGonagall regards her curiously a few feet away. I've just come to realise how little it matters what anyone thinks. And then she dips her head and excuses herself, McGonagall watching as she leaves with what might possibly be the beginnings of a smile forming on her stern lips. Halfway to the office door, Hermione pulls the broken pendant from the pocket of her skirt. She fastens the clasp around her neck. 